everyone. In today's episode of Trifold Podcast, we will welcome Dr. Anke Klein, Assistant Professor at Leiden University, and Erwin de Geer, a software architect at Trifold Amsterdam. Thanks for joining us today. I'm Vika Mikusekle, and I'm a content marketer at Trifold Amsterdam, and I will be today's host. In this episode, our guests will explore how Trifold Amsterdam helped the research team from Leiden University develop an app that could help with how kids are treated for anxiety. So to start with, could you maybe both tell us a bit more about yourself? Anka, could you maybe begin? Yes, sure. Thank you for inviting me and I really like being here today. So my name is Anke Klein. I'm a social professor at Leiden University and I do research in anxiety in children. And currently I'm working on like clinical projects where we try to improve treatment for children with an anxiety disorder. And Erin, could you maybe tell us a bit about your role at Trifold Amsterdam? My name is Erin de Geer. I'm a software architect in Tribal Amsterdam, which means I'm working in various projects for doing software development and I was the architect as well for the app that we're discussing today. So now to dive into the topic of today's episode, could you maybe tell us a bit more about the Kaiba case, Anke? Yes, of course. So our main goal, what I just said, is to improve treatments for children with anxiety disorders. And what we know from literature is that anxiety is something that is normal in children in the development but sometimes children really have major problems with anxiety in such a way that it influences their development so they avoid things or they don't want to go to things or they feel so afraid of doing like typical things that they don't do it anymore and then we say it's an anxiety disorder and of course you want to help these children overcome their anxieties because we know from like scientific research that if you don't do this Sometimes anxiety disorders can exist for like over 20 years. And we do have good treatments, but what we see that after treatments, when the treatment is ended, children have to go home. And then sometimes they relapse, so they fall back into their old system and old habits. And therefore, we decided to develop the Kiba study. And Kiba means kids beat anxiety. It's a treatment program, a short treatment program, including an app for home practice. And I also noticed, because we had an article about the Kiba project before that we collaborated on, and there's a term used, a specific phobia treatment. So maybe could you explain what specific phobia exactly is, because I'm pretty sure that some of our listeners might not be aware. Yeah, sure. So there are many different anxiety disorders, and one of them is specific phobia. The specific phobia is the most common anxiety disorder. And it refers to situations that you're afraid of. For example, to heights, to water, to injections, in hospitals, dentists. There are like over 200 specific phobias. Uh, flying, uh, birds, animals, dogs, cats. So it's a really broad way, but it means it's specific for one situation or one object. And around like 10% of the children will face a specific phobia early in life. So the onset of specific phobias is around eight years. So it's quite young. And therefore, our project also focuses on this relatively young age group from seven years onwards. Well, thank you so much for this elaborated response. So now to move a bit to the topic of the app, could you maybe explain how did the idea to actually develop an app for the anxiety treatment developed? Yeah, so what I already said earlier a bit is that we know that the treatment works really well in children. So between like around 70% of children is diagnosis-free after after treatment. But just like 
trying to or learning how to drive a car, you need to still keep practicing. Once you have your driver's license and you completely stop driving a car, you just at some point you get very insecure in driving and you tend to avoid it and tend to avoid it. And it's the same with anxiety treatment. So you learn new habits, you learn new things during the treatment, you learn to overcome your fears, but the exercising or the keep practicing after the treatment is crucial. We know that. Mm-hmm. We say that to parents, we say that to children, but it's quite difficult, just like going to a physiotherapist, for example, in adults. Well, you need to practice, you have your practice scheme, but you tend to forget, of course. Children have a lot of things at school to do, and the practicing after treatment stops. And this was a real challenge. So we have a big research team around the world that we wanted to tackle this problem with. So we have Tom Ollendick, Professor Tom Ollendick from uh, University Virginia University in the USA. We have uh, Professor Rhonda Pay from Australia and Sylvia Schneider from Germany and lots of like Dutch researchers. We say we really need to tackle this problem. And then we decided, well, e-health solutions might be also a good idea for children. Children nowadays mostly have a phone. They do a lot of app things and games. So why not try to develop something that on one hand can help them keep practicing, and the other hand, keep it fun. I mean, that sounds like a very good idea. And Erwin, could you maybe say why Driver decided to engage with this project then? Yes, I think from the Driver point of view, there are multiple reasons why we like to do this project. When we first were approached by Leiden University with the question if we could help them developing an app, it sounded very interesting to us because basically Driver likes to build software in a way that it can be used by the client independently of us, but also in a way that we deliver them something that can be used from scratch if there's nothing there. So basically, we're not only delivering the software, but we're delivering the whole framework of how you develop the software, how you maintain it, and how you can uh, use it and change it in the future. So it's something that's very close to how we work. There's uh, basically only an abstract ID, and in the end of the project, there needs to be a working thing that's actually used by the children, not some kind of thing that still needs to be delivered or installed, but it needs to be a working product uh, that can be used immediately. And of course, it's also uh, very interesting for our developers. It's something that uh, is for a specific group of people, and children in this case, and it's also something that's for scientific research, and those things, those combinations, is not something you often see in, in the project. We, we usually do a more like financial or administrative or insurance. Uh, So making a product for a user and um, that they're actually able to see what we do, that's very rewarding, of course, because you can see the immediate reaction of the the people using it. And I think, thirdly, it's also uh, nice to build something that you have the feeling that you can improve the world with it. So if you can actually help children overcome their anxiety, Building the software is way more rewarding than documenting someone's address or making sure someone gets paid or something. It it gives a very big reward if you can give something back to help in this case. So if I understood correctly, you had to develop the project from the very beginning. So create an app from a more of an abstract idea, right? Yes. So could you maybe tell us what was the biggest challenge then? Because you are starting from the scratch, so I'm sure there's some different challenges and opportunities involved. Yes, that's a very good question, actually, because as a developer, it's, of course, easier if you know exactly what you have to build. If someone can describe to you, I want this, please build this for us, it's way easier to build something. 
than if there's just a rough ID. And I think the biggest challenge with this specific application is that the ID was so abstract that nobody could explain what it was. We couldn't touch it, we couldn't see it. That was just the idea of children need to practice with their anxiety to overcome their fear, and we need some digital instruments to help them. And that was it. So even if as a, a product owner or as a stakeholder, you have to discuss this with your peers, or you have to find information for uh, how we want to implement the app, it's hard to describe. We cannot point at things. So that was the biggest challenge, basically. How can we start making that leap from the abstract ID to actually something that we can see? And as soon as you have something that people see, then people are far easier to give feedback on it, and you can improve from there. And even if you throw it away, I think it's still useful to make sure something is there. That's actually what we did in the beginning of the project. Immediately when we started, we made these mock-ups. So we just figured out a couple of screens and we made a presentation of them. And then these mock-ups could be shown to other researchers and to other people who are interested. And they could give feedback on the mock-ups. And from the mock-ups, we could say, okay, this is a good idea or this is not a good idea. And I think from the first set of mock-ups, probably over half of it, we didn't build at all. It was a starting point for us to have discussions around. I think that is very nice if you can do it in a way where the idea is just very vague and you can make it more concrete uh, to actually build something, but also that you can have your development team contribute to that. So the people actually building the software are the ones making the mockups. So they are involved with this process. Mm -hmm. And it's not something that comes from outside the team, which makes it easier to understand what the ID behind the software. Well, then I would have a follow-up questions for both of you, actually. So do you see any advantages or disadvantages of this approach? Yeah, so when I can add a little bit, that was really helpful. My biggest challenge was that I had a group of researchers around the world and I had a group of therapists who, had, who needed to work with the children. I had a group of children who needed to use the app and I had a group of parents. And we had all these different groups giving me input mm -hmm. and I had to translate it to the software team myself. And uh, they had a lot of ideas and it was going all the way, but I couldn't really see how it might look. And I think when we started building, or they, the team, the engineer team from Tarifog started building the mock-ups, they had an idea of how it might look like. And then things started to really run on my side. And then people said, well, this is what we want, this is what we don't want. So I think in the process, that was really crucial to have this. That sounds like it definitely can help also visualizing things and seeing how the app could work, especially when you have so many groups involved. So to follow up actually on that topic, because the app is created and it's targeted towards the kids, it might create some additional challenges from both research and technical perspective. Do you think there were any specific challenges there or could you maybe brief us a bit into the research process behind it? How did you start and yeah, what was the approach because the kids were involved in the process? Yeah, I think because you built something for a very specific group of people, it's, it's really hard to imagine how it should look and how it should work because the way children interact with applications is just different from how we interact and specifically they're doing it in a context of working with their anxiety so it's not even a peaceful interaction right it's not like they're playing with an app uh, and it's just for fun it's also you have to be aware that they can be a little bit stressed or anxious or they want to avoid working with this so i think it's very good that we got the children involved and also the patient groups involved during the development of the application. Because the way children look at the application is completely different from how we look. And they also gave us feedback that we couldn't anticipate. 
we had to make sure that we had, of course, a working version of the application on an actual device, so on the iPad, and they could play around with it. They could go through the screens, click on the buttons, follow the flow in the app. And because they were playing with this, we had a lot of feedback of things that we mm. didn't predict. It was like, uh, this is too complicated, mm. these two screens don't make any sense, I don't know what happens. Like, mm -hmm. for instance, in the beginning of the application, we actually thought the application should be a proxy for a therapist. So basically, instead of going to the therapist, you go to the app. And that means that all, it, all communication goes through the app with the therapist. The application also gave a lot of notifications to the children, like you have to, to do your practice session now, um, and, and reminders and those kind of things. But it turned out that, that from both sides, both the therapist and the children, that was way too complicated. It was just mm -hmm. not feasible to take the model that was existing and implement it one-to-one -one because the children didn't know what was happening. They got all these kind of notifications, but it didn't make sense when you go into the app. And also therapists cannot be online to talk to all these children at the same time. It's They work on a scheduled uh, basis. So they have an hour for this child and an hour for this, and then maybe some time to process the, the sessions. So the whole idea was we had to throw it, throw it out of the window. Yeah. Um, and that was basically because we got these people involved during the development. And of course, that also provided challenges for us because you have to build something that works. People mm -hmm. that are not technically uh, knowledgeable should be able to use it early on in the process so you have to find a way to install it on their phone be able to give it updates but also it should work it shouldn't have any weird bugs early on so basically our development process was turned around for this we had to make sure that every two weeks roughly we developed a version that was completely able to be tested by people i think that's a yeah. really big challenge yeah. for your way of working but if you can get that right it's also very helpful. So it takes time and it's maybe a little bit takes startup mm -hmm. time in the beginning, mm -hmm. but it gives you so much feedback during the process. Yeah, so I think typically when you work with adults when making an app, you can also make descriptions just on the on the screen or make some screenshot like in the in the beginning. But at some point the children just wanted to try it. They said, Where is the app? I wanted to try it on my phone. And once they had this like this working beta version of the very first version, they started to really interact with it. And then start to, with the working version, better versions of the app. I think that's very interesting. And actually, it brings another question. So do you think that working actually with such a young audience, because usually, obviously, you work with a bit of older generation to create those different uh, yeah, applications or while working on the projects, do you think it also created some opportunities or gave you some new ideas about working on an app? Well, the, the funny thing that I noticed is that because these children were so involved in mm -hmm. the development process, they kind of got ownership of the application yeah. as well. So it's yeah. it's like with us, if we work on something, we are mm -hmm. proud of it mm -hmm. and we want to keep it. So these children said, I had this ID, mm -hmm. but I cannot find it anywhere in this new version. What what happened to it? <laughs> yeah. I, I, I thought it was a good idea. So <laughs> it was the child group that participated in development was there to give us advice, but they became mm -hmm. like involved in the application development yeah. as well so we actually had to find another group of children to mm -hmm. validate the results of the first group of children because mm -hmm. they are independent so they can see it yeah. uh, completely fresh so it was really interesting if you look from a development a process kind of angle that you have to be aware that if people contribute to it you still want another pair of eyes to look at it from a fresh perspective you shouldn't create a 
an environment where everyone goes around in circles and just just enforces the opinions in that yeah. group, right? Should still find those feedback or criticisms outside of that group. And I think that was really interesting, something we learned during, and it also provides opportunities for us for the new projects that we do that if we are in such a situation, we should make sure that we validate also from the outside. Also to one last time follow up on the topic of kids' involvement in this project. Anka, do you think it also created any challenges from the research perspective? So obviously it's also a bit of a sensitive topic because the app also can make some kids more anxious while they first start using that. So some more the ethical uh, yeah. part. Yes, of course. So in the beginning, the idea was that there was like a chat function, like Erin described, that they can immediately contact their therapist when something happens. It was completely non-feasible, but we wanted to relate to the children and also let them know how they could reach their therapist. So what we did, we did two things actually there. I think, or even three. So we had the a little hair, the kiba hair that we use also like in the therapy um, that moved along with the children and, and gave feedback. Plus, of course, just general feedback. And we have an information page for them. So what to do in case of a setback or what to do in case of an anxiety, how you should react to this. And we also discuss this, of course, with parents. So in any case, the parents supervise the children using the app. So the children were really, the goal of the app was really that children could independently use the app. But of course, the guidance of the parents was really crucial. So we had one extra session. So after the treatment finished, we had one like session of an hour and a half with the parents and the children and the therapist to describe the app and to help them do the exercises. And the third point, what we did is a therapist calls the child on a weekly basis. And of course, the child could call the therapist in case something really happened. But on a weekly basis, they would call for like 15 minutes to see how the child was doing. So I think we solved that pretty, pretty well. I think it's incredible also, I mean, making it much more accessible for everyone, especially during this pandemic time when it's probably not as easy for kids to go for a therapy in person. To maybe actually follow up a bit more on the topic of the app as well. As I mentioned at the beginning, the app is dedicated to kids with very different types of phobias. So how can we maybe ensure that the app is flexible enough to adjust to changing needs? Erin, could you maybe start on the technical perspective? Yes, that's indeed a very interesting point. It's not even that the app is suitable for different specific phobias, but even a similar phobia is specific to a child. So if you are afraid of dogs and I'm afraid of dogs, it doesn't mean that the, the same treatment will help us. It's how we experience this fear is different. So during the process of development, we actually had the idea that the app should be very specific to a child, not to a group, but actually to the individual child. And how the app works, is uh, maybe interesting to briefly explain. It's basically consists of exercises that children do to overcome their fear. So if you are afraid of dogs, for instance, an exercise could be that you look at pictures of a dog, which is a very uh, low level um, exposure, but you can also maybe later on in therapy uh, pet a dog or walk the dog, or maybe it's allowed to lick your hand, which is more high level because it's, it's yeah. more scary if you're uh, afraid of dog. So these exercises and also the rewards for the exercises have to be specific for each child. And that means that the app that we built is not just a collection of questionnaires and exercises and rewards. The app is basically an empty shell that needs to be filled by the therapist and by the child itself. So if you would download the application now, nothing will be in there. It will just be able, you can log in and that's it. While if 
you download the app as a child as part of the therapy, you will see a list of exercises, you will see how, how many exercises you've completed, and also you see a reward store where you can earn rewards and basically credits and you can buy stuff from the store. And all of these things need to be filled in by the child and therapist in the beginning of the treatment. So they sit together and they discuss uh, what is your fear, how would you like to overcome it, what kind of exercises could you do, on which level, and what do you think you should be rewarded for this. So it can, for instance, be, okay, I want to exercise where I walk the neighbor's dog, and if I walk the dog for 10 minutes, I allowed to buy a new book from the bookstore. The parents of the children, of course, need to buy the book for the children, but that's something that they take full ownership of. And from a development perspective, of course, that means that you need to introduce an, another layer of abstraction. You can not just say this is an exercise and you go through the exercises. You have to make it in a generic way where the therapist and children can add an exercise and can add a level to the exercise and also they can add the rewards. And that's, of course, it's a challenge from a technical point of view, but if you get it right, so if you can model it in your software in a way that it works for all the children, that's a very nice feature because that also means that later on, if you want to change the application, so if resource develops and you learn new things about the domain, you don't need a developer to change it. So even next to the exercises and the rewards, all the information and all the FAQs and explanations are all dynamic. So the owner of the application without any technical knowledge can just add new content to the application. Mm -hmm. And this is also that goes back to uh, what I said in the beginning, we want to deliver something that can be used independently of a software development party, mm -hmm. and that's also future-proof. And I think that was very nice to do as, as a development team to build it in that way, to not make something really specific mm -hmm. that you have to throw out after one use, but something that's future-proof and very dynamic. Yeah, and I think maybe, Anke, could you also elaborate a bit more about the mechanism. So I know you've mentioned at the very beginning the reward system as well, mm -hmm. but could you maybe tell us a bit more how it works exactly? So yeah, what was the idea? Yeah, so what we wanted to, to do is develop an app that, that was at the same time fun, so rewarding for the children, so we have a reward store, but on the other hand would also include scientific-based, evidence-based features. So one of the features was, for example, is practicing. So the, the way you practice is very important and that you practice on a daily basis is important. But what was important too is that children see themselves exercising and managing their fear. So we wanted to encourage the children to make photos and videos of themselves when they were doing the exercises and also to watch them later on. Because sometimes if you overcome or you do something that you really fear, later on you say, oh, well, I wasn't that good. But when you look back at the photos and the videos, you say, well, actually I did really well. Look at me doing this. So this is called memory reconsolidation in scientific knowledge. And you could also be very proud of yourself, of course, that you have like managed to do this. So one of the features was beside the rewarding store and the exercises that Erin talked just now about the things that children needed to do, we also built this camera and video function. And of course, we wanted to make it fun as well. So we set up goals. We taught the children, so if you reward like a certain amount of points because they would get points for each exercise they completed uh, that counted up to a, a total number of points but they could also for example earn a crown so if they would do three exercises in the same area they would earn a crown and they would get extra points so we really tried to make it engaging there and what did we have more about the features? It's also you want to encourage the practicing and not per se the end result mm -hmm. so even yeah. if you practice 
yeah. what you think you failed, which is mm -hmm. a question in, in one of the questionnaires. So do you think you completed the exercise or do you think you failed the exercise? You still don't want to say, okay, it's bad that you failed because they did the mm -hmm. practicing, right? So they okay. did the exposure and we just want to encourage them to practice again. Yeah. So there are mechanisms in the app that if you practice the same exercise again on the same day or on the on the next day, yeah. that you are rewarded as well and not only for, for the end result. And there's also mechanisms inside that make sure that you practice every day instead of yeah. like every, every week. So there's also like a streak feature where you can like five days in a row and then you get rewarded for that. So there's a reward system where you can buy stuff or reward yourself, but there's also a goal system that we use to guide the children to the exercises. So what kind of exercise should you do next? Should it be on a higher level? Should it be on the same level? Should you practice again because you failed? Should you practice today? Should you practice tomorrow? So there's all this kind of goals that they can reach that we yeah use to nudge the child in the, the, the direction we want them yeah which is very nice to do because yeah you don't have any control over how someone uses it and then with these goals you can guide them a bit so you can say make a video or watch back three videos mm -hmm. yeah i think these extra features with the goals the children really sometimes even forgot they were practicing that they wanted to reach the goals they wanted to get the streak they wanted to have the like the points and go to the reward system and buy something that sometimes they even forgot that they needed to practice something they really feared and i think that was at that point we got there the children really like that we thought okay this is the point that where we actually want to goal that children are so engaged that they just forget about their fears at some point and just want to do it and also on the child panel there were some children who were a bit anxious but not really having an anxiety disorder and they all said whoa we want to keep using the app can we use it for something else and i think this is really nice from the app that we've developed so we've now developed it to overcome anxieties but of course you can use it to do other exercises as well because as a therapist you have a dashboard where you can enter the exercises but what we did with this group with some of the children needed to practice for the school homework for example they didn't really feel like it and then they said well actually I have a really good idea because I want to use the app can you please include that I have to study my English lessons and study my grammar put that in because it's way easier to do my homework in this way. And this was also the point that we thought, okay, now we have a really good app that is engaging and motivating the children internally instead of putting something on top of them. And that's actually what you, of course, wish to accomplish when you make something like this. I think it's very interesting how actually this kind of a gamification mechanism can you know, work in so many different areas and also how this app is so flexible that it allows different type of goals to be achieved as well. Actually, to look back a bit at the process, what would you say went well or is there anything that you would like to change actually looking back? I think overall it went really well. I think that TriFog was really engaging. Their software engineers were really into it, were very motivated. So it came with a lot of things that we actually hadn't thought about. And I also like the, so we had weekly sprint sessions together where we planned everything. So I think that went very, very smooth. And also the children like the process very much. So I think overall the process went really well. What I think to me, I learned a few things. Like the one thing is, Sometimes you think it's very easy to build something in an app. Say, oh, I want this extra feature. And, and the software team said, oh, this is actually really difficult. So, of course, I don't have any knowledge about software mm. building. So sometimes it was kind of difficult, but it was way more complex than I expected. And I, I think the most difficult part for me was that at some point we thought the app is finished. So we had this idea, the children were engaged, we had this external group of children who looked at it, and then we thought, okay, we are ready to now really test it in the real 
real with children who have a clinical specific phobia. But then it didn't work on all the children's phones. And that was really a bummer for me personally, because you think, okay, now we're there, it runs. And then we wanted to put it on the children's different phones. And then it didn't work on all the phones. So normally children have like a bit of older models. And at some phones it did work and sometimes it didn't. And then you have to go back to the process. And for me as a researcher at some point that was kind of, okay, so we have to do this extra thing again. So I'm not sure how you... Yeah, I think this is a, like a byproduct for focusing really on, on delivering something more like in a prototype way. So mm -hmm. we built something that's really visible to everyone involved, right? So they can touch it, they can look at it, they can give feedback, and they can see that if they give feedback, it changes fast. But it also means that if you give them something that looks so good already, mm -hmm. that they tend to forget that there's this whole technical process. <laughs> I think uh, something that has to work on multiple phones is a very good example because... When you aim to deliver something that works as an end product all the time, you have to cut back on other features. You cannot build something so quickly that is like fully functional in all scenarios. You have to make a decision. Okay, we want this to work well so people can use it, but that means we cannot have it working on all Android phones. For a green is different, for the processor is different. And I think that's something that, that's the case with all Agile projects you have to realize that you can build something very fast and get it out the market quickly. But it also means you have to make decisions on what you want to deliver. And if you can make that scope as small as possible, then you can build something that really works and it's really usable, but it's very tiny. So if you want all these other features as well, you have to make a decision about the priority. So uh, you want to have a fully working app only working on an iPhone 11, or you want to have something that is not completely ready, but it works on all kinds of phones. It's a decision you have to make. And of course you can get both, but it just takes long, a long mm -hmm. time. And I think we reached that point where we had an app that looked very good and that worked very well, mm -hmm. but then we had to take the step, okay, now it has to work on an Android phone, it has to go mm -hmm. to the Google store, to the Apple store, mm -hmm. and it has to work on an iPad, it has to go on the phone. And that, if you can manage that expectancy towards mm -hmm. the client, that's something that I think is very well needed because they see an end mm -hmm. result and then three months later it's finished instead of they getting yeah. it right away, right? So maybe also to elaborate a bit more on this point, how can Trifect ensure that the app is still relevant and helpful in the future because the technology changes also the types of phones and yeah, with this prioritization to actually have the app working right now, it might create yeah, challenges later on. Yeah, I think that's a very good point that you need to yeah, take into consideration when you develop your software. So we already explained that we want to build something that's flexible enough that the end user can modify it basically to their own uh, will. So the content-wise, we made sure that it's uh, super flexible and that there are UIs for everything so the end user can, can use it. So that's, I think, one of the things that helps a lot to keep it relevant. I think another thing is that from a technical point of view, we made use of lots of standards and uh, well-known libraries that can basically be picked up by any developer and also, of course, things change rapidly. So you have to make sure that you use functionalities that you know are proven. You cannot depend a lot on experimental features and on experimental third-party libraries. You have to stay true to things that are proven, things that are standards. And I think also the App Store designs, so both Google and Apple Store design and the review guidelines help you a bit there because they want to deliver the app in a way that works on a variety of devices and also that it's suitable for these different screen sizes. Things change, but I think basically if you focus on those kind of things, once you release it, uh, it will be functioning on these devices in the future. And I think since it was released, we didn't make any changes 
anymore to get it working on more devices or to get it working. So I think we did a good job in, in that sense. Well, thank you both so much for sharing so many insights about this incredible project. To maybe sum up today's episode, I would maybe like you to ask about the future of modernizing the more traditional psychotherapy. To elaborate on that, do you think technology will play a significant role even for the younger audience or maybe you can already see this trend developing? And to connect it to the Kaiba case as well, what is the current stage of the project and how do you see the future? Mm -hmm. Yeah, I think when you look at the literature on e-health, it's been booming in the last decade. So this is definitely a way to make it more engaging and to help the children. And I think we need the technology also to help us to improve the treatments. What we saw in the last decade, a lot of apps developing without any scientific background. So there were things throwing in that we didn't even know they might work. And I think with the Kiva project, it's really unique because it's a combination of researchers, evidence-based functionalities in the app. On the other hand, the end users, the parents, the therapists, and the children who were involved, and a really good software team. So I think this combination would be the best also for the future developing better apps. And of course, before we really start raving about these kind of things, we are currently running a randomized controlled trial. So that's a research trial where we have a group of children and we randomly assign them to one group or to the other. So both of the groups get their regular treatments and then half of the group practices with their exercises on paper and pencil for four weeks, like the traditional way to, to do your exercise and the other half of the children who will practice with the app for four weeks. And then, of course, we're going to evaluate after the four weeks, but also six months later, whether actually it worked, whether the anxiety levels go down, whether they actually were doing it, how it works. And I think this is a really, really important step. So yes, I really truly believe that e-health and technology is needed and it's really necessary to support the treatment outcomes. On the other hand, I would really like to say collaborate with researchers and the field and really test it as well because if it doesn't work, it's such a shame in the end that you try to invest a lot of money and invest a lot of time. And actually, sometimes it works counterintuitive or counterproductive of what you have thought. So the testing part and the research part is crucial, mm -hmm. I think, in this yeah, I think it's very interesting and actually to elaborate on that, Erin, as the final advice, how can you help in the process of modernizing the more traditional psychotherapy as part of the software industry? How can Trifork initially help? Yeah, I think that for us as software engineers, there's really big opportunities. But for this, it's first of all, it's very nice to work on because you really have the feeling that you are doing something to help people. And what I realized during the development and also now that the app is really used is that basically technology helps us to move a lot of information and also a lot of responsibility back to the end user. So when on holiday in the past you went maybe to an organization that planned the whole holiday for you, right? You said I want to go there and there and there and they put your flights and your camper and your hotels. But now because all the information is moved to the end user because you can online find places you want to go or places you want to stay. You can basically do all that work yourself and you see a similar thing with this application. You had to go to a therapist to get over your fear in the past and now you still go to the therapist of course but the, the digital instrument in our instance the application we built helps you to take matters into your yeah. own hands and it teaches you how you can yourself get over mm -hmm. your fear. So mm -hmm. we also saw that especially during the children that were actually healthy and not, not very fearful for something that after a couple of weeks of using the app the mechanism that the app taught them, they could apply it without the application itself. So mm -hmm. 
it teach them how they can get the correct information and the correct feedback and how they can help themselves with things. So I think that's really something that we have to realize that these digital instruments, they can help us and they give us a lot of information, but they also bring the responsibility and the data to us. Like you're wearing a, a smart band or a fitness band and it allows you to measure your oxygen levels and your heart rate. And you can use all these things to change your way of living, your what you eat, how you exercise. So that means you don't have to go to an expert all the time to measure these mm -hmm. things, to tell you how to, mm -hmm. to live, basically, right? Mm -hmm. And I think that you can count compare yeah. it. So it's really interesting how the digital world helps us with these things, but also at the same time, we have to be aware that it's about us. It's not about the digital instrument. It's just we can mm -hmm. use this digital instrument, take matter in our hands, yeah. take our own responsibility. Yeah. I think I have a nice example there with the children in the Kiba app, uh, for example, is that in the beginning, the therapist really needed to help them with the exercises. But at some point, they came with the exercises themselves. Through the app, they learned the system, how this whole process worked and how exercising helped them and coming up with own exercises. And it really boosted their, their self-esteem. And then the moment we asked them, so if you would have another anxiety or something else that you don't want to do, so actually it's like lowering the level you know so lowering the, the threshold to do something and they said well yes because if i don't want to do something i put it in the app i give myself exercises with little steps so not big steps but little steps i put them in the app and then i know that i can overcome it and i think this is what we want in life so this application that helps you to realize how to master things not only your own anxiety but also other things in life and how you can handle this that's also hopefully what we accomplish with the app well, on this positive note, I wanted to thank you very much for coming today and also I'm very much looking forward to seeing more innovative projects like this and how can technology help, of course, with developing. In today's episode, we are hosting Dr. Anke Klein, Assistant Professor at Leiden University and Erwin Geer, Software Architect at Trifurk Amsterdam. They shared their experiences and lessons learned while working on the Kiba project that will help improve how kids are treated for anxiety by using a custom app. And of course, if you want to learn more about the project or other projects that Leiden University researchers are working on, Please check the description box and we will include the website so you can read more about it. Thank you all for listening and stay tuned for more Trifurk Podcast episodes. Thank you so much. Mm -hmm.